Hello, my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. On this episode, we're finally getting Canadian, and we're talking about Guy Madden. We want to get this Canadian thing over with quickly, because nobody cares. (laughs) Uh, I mean, have you seen our film industry? Oh, wow, you're burning all the bridges right here. Yeah. (laughs) I'm kidding. There have been lots of great Canadian movies. Strange Brew, for instance. (laughs) New on Blu-ray. Yes. Um, What other Canadian films are really good? Oh, boy. Uh, Ernest Rides Again is a Canadian film. Is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, wow. Um, so, Guy Madden. When I think of... I love how we didn't say one Canadian <laughs> No, there's... I don't know. Sweet after. What do you want? Yeah. What do you want from us? Wh- whatever, whatever is on the TIFF top 10 list every 10 Hardcore years. Hardcore logo, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Guy Madden. When I think of Canadian cinema and its alienating properties, Guy Madden is the one guy that you go to. Yeah. Because he makes art films... And he has continued to make art films for the longest time without ever trying to mold himself for the mainstream. It's true. His films, I guess, vary in being accessible. Mm -hmm. But even at their most accessible, they're still quite... I don't want to say abrasive, because those of us who like his movies find them very pleasurable. Yes. But they're very uncompromising. Like, it's the kind of movie that if I show to someone who goes to the multiplex every Friday... Yeah, just, just some member of the hoi polloi, <laughs> some some stupid commoner. Well, I was going to say someone that gets in line and goes, I don't know what movie I'm going to watch today. Yeah, one of the garbage people, as I like to say. <laughs> um, they would be very shocked by seeing a Guy Madden film. Yeah. Because why would they be shocked? Like, what... Do you think of Guy Madden when you think of his films? When I when I think of Guy Madden, I think of uh, uh, the aesthetics of old timey cinema. You know, silent cinema, title cards, irises, black and white, mm-hmm. out of focus, uh, mixed with uh, weird sexual insecurity. <laughs> Guy Mann is not just someone who's obsessed with the dramatic possibilities of old-timey film techniques. He's also obsessed with old-timey film techniques looking back, because you're in the present looking back at those. So his films aren't just shot in 8mm or 60mm, they're also very degraded and out of focus, as if they weren't done quite properly or processed quite properly. They often give the impression, stylistically, of having been something that is a lost film mm-hmm. that was found at some archive somewhere. Or, I mean, it's, it's easy when you talk about Guy Madden to talk about them in this really pseudo poetic way mm-hmm. uh, but they 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 feel like some some distant dream from celluloid subconscious <laughs> <laughs> that's like an exact quote the guy mad himself would say uh, or yeah or i don't know some critic what is the first guy man film that you ever saw uh the year was 2004 i was at the kingsway cinema in etobicoke and i saw a little movie called the saddest music in the world i don't think i'd i'd ever heard of guy Madden before and i think i only I don't think I even knew what this movie was, really. I just I was just going to see independent movies at the time. We should preface this by saying that Saddest Music in the World was Guy Madden's biggest budget yet. I think it was $3.5 million, huh. and it got a wide release by MGM. Or, well, it got a wide DVD release, and mm-hmm. I think it was... It was in more theaters probably than any other of his films. Still not that many, though. Yeah, but I remember that it was a movie that like my dad knew about. Because yeah. he was like, oh, let's rent Saddest Music of the, of the World at Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And so what was your experience when you saw it? I I found it very a very intense experience mm-hmm. at the time. I'd never seen anything like it. I think I knew enough about old movies at that time that I knew what he was doing. It was something that seemed genuine, even though it had movie stars in it who I knew about, it seemed genuinely, well, Isabella Rossellini <laughs> and Mark McKinney, if you can call them movie stars, even though it had people I recognized in it, it seemed something like something that was genuinely otherworldly. What is the plot of Saddest Music in the World? 
Okay, it's set in Depression-era Winnipeg, uh, as Canada is still reeling from the First World War and, you know, the Great Depression, obviously. Yes. Uh, and it's, uh, Isabella Rossellini plays a legless beer baroness who holds a contest to see which country can produce the saddest music in the world. Mm-hmm. And people, uh, hilarious comical stereotypes from all nations <laughs> converge on Winnipeg, mm-hmm. including a down-on-his-luck Broadway impresario played by Mark McKinney. Everyone's favorite kid in the kids in the hall. <laughs> My favorite SNL cast member. Wait, he was on SNL? Yeah, two, for two seasons in the 90s. Huh. Yeah, do, do you remember the episode that Jim Carrey hosted? No, I don't. He did a really good Jim Carrey impression. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> And so this film is basically that. It's like a bunch of musical numbers and the complex family dynamics, which is an issue with every guy man Because film. competing for Serbia is another guy uh, who is Mark McKinney's brother, his mm-hmm. estranged brother, who uh, used to be married to Medea de Medeiros, who is currently Mark McKinney's uh, wife and is suffering from amnesia and cannot remember the dead child she had with... Her former husband. Yeah. If you followed that, I didn't. <laughs> well, it's like any guy man film, right? Like the details of the exact plot are not always the most important thing. Uh, the other big player is Mark McKinney and the Serbian fellows, <laughs> whose name I forget. His, their father, uh, a recovering alcoholic who is in love with Isabella Rossellini's beer baroness. And, and who we should point out is the person who cut off her legs in a drunken operation. Yes, when she had a car accident and needed to have one of her legs amputated, he cut off the wrong one. Mm-hmm. So, with this plot in mind, fun times at the movies, right? You know, I saw it again just this week for the first time in 10 years, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, and I found it an incredibly powerful experience all over again. I it, I remember the first time that I saw it, like, as far as Guy Mann's film, this is one of the most aggressively in-your-face. Like, the film is very deteriorated. Mm-hmm. And while it's in widescreen, it has kind of holes in it the size of golf balls, which is the way that you would usually explain grain. It was a good movie to see in a theatrical setting at the time, because not only is it such an overwhelming experience in a theater, but back, that was back in the day when everything was projected on 35 millimeter and th- I was seeing it in second run. So it had this extra layer of haze over it. And how important is that within the context of experiencing Guy Madden's films? I mean, his m- movies can certainly be experienced at home on a DVD or on your illegal download or whoever, wherever you choose to watch his films. I think it they definitely benefit from being seen in a theater because there's no escape from them. Yes. <laughs> I, I feel like Guy Man's films, because they're so in your face and they're jumping all over the place and they're not techniques you're used to, that the mind kind of disconnects from it very easily. So if you're, for example, you're watching it on the computer, you'd be tempted to be like, eh, I'll just do something else while this is going on. It's something that I've seen people who watch silent films at home yeah. have the problem with, which is they get distracted very easily because mm-hmm. there's nothing that is very uh, immediate for them. Guy Madden can be a very overwhelming sensory experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, people often talk about in movies you go and you enter a sort of dream state when you're at a movie and or an out-of-body experience in some way. And with Guy Madden, it's even more so. It's kind of like David Lynch is a similar way when you see his movies in the proper context. We should point out here for people that don't know Guy Madden and are listening to this and they're like, oh my god, you know, this does not sound like fun. His movies are really fun. They're very funny. Yeah. Uh, the thing about the saddest music in the world is it is an incredibly sad and melancholy film, but I mean, it is a comedy and the the comedy is so kind of 
sharp and bitter that it makes it even more melancholy. Yeah. So even at the end, when the final sequence plays out and it is very sad, it is at the same time very absurd. There's a scene where you see uh, a commercial for the beer company that Isabella Rossellini runs, and it's in that sort of faux chipper upbeat style that old radio commercials are always in which and seeing it in that context it almost seems like the commercial is insulting its audience because everybody is so sad (laughs) yeah exactly and that's why like his films are so funny that for as absurd as his movies get there's always a tinge of strong emotion Mm -hmm. and kind of sadness that goes along with it let's get into some biographical details you've read up on him a little bit the thing about guy man when he talks about himself he likes to coat everything in like fantasy and just, you know, humor. So it's kind of tough to figure out like what is real and what is not real. He has this diary book called From the Atelier Tovar, which is a bunch of diary entries over years because mm-hmm. he's a guy that he says in the book has difficulty like finding reasons to write about himself. So you'll get like a stretch of a week while he's shooting a film and then nothing for three years. Mm-hmm. But he started off not really wanting to be a filmmaker. He actually was kind of all over the place in his life. He painted houses for 10 years and he got hooked up with a group, uh, an art collective in Winnipeg called the drones. Mm -hmm. And that kind of led to his obsession with film and like kind of Baroque novels. He talks about how he would watch Eric von Stroenheim's foolish wives on 16 millimeters, like a hundred times in (laughs) one month. And you can see why this kind of influence led to the films that he made. And so he made a movie called tales from the Gimli hospital, which I mean, the easiest way to describe it is kind of a Canadian David Lynch. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, I mean, funnier in Much a way. Much funnier, yeah. It's hard to compare him to anyone else because he's so singular. Mm-hmm. It's like David Lynch in that he seems to be somebody who's projecting his subconscious straight onto the screen, except unlike David Lynch, it's filtered through old Hollywood. Like, you could make allusions that David Lynch is also referencing that stuff. Yeah. But Guy Mann is taking not only the, the way that old Hollywood used to be constructed, also its stylistic constraints. He said that... Um, He loves using old Hollywood techniques because at the time it was so pure and so direct Mm -hmm. in ways that kind of cinema has gotten away from, which is the thing that attracts him to it. Uh, How so? How is it so pure and direct? Because I often think of the artifice of old Hollywood. Well, because like the way that um, silent films work is that you're um, bringing your own emotional baggage to what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, um, I don't remember what the actor's name was, but he was a big romantic star back in the time. Oh, Rudolph Valentino. Uh, It wasn't Rudolph Valentino. It's, he went, he transitioned from silent to talkies. And what happened was, is that when he came to talkies, people heard his voice. Oh, I know who you're talking about, but I can't, I can't remember who it is. John Barrymore, maybe? (laughs) No, it's not John Barrymore. If you said his name, I'd be like, yes, I know exactly who that Uh... is. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And when that happened, people kind of, their imagination took a step back from what was being presented. Because they could bring this romance and the meaning to it in its silent form. But when someone was saying it and you were hearing it, there's only one way you can interpret it. Mm -hmm. And when that's what really attracts Guy Mann to kind of silent stuff. It's just more direct Mm -hmm. in that you bring your own baggage to the film. Also, silent films generally, with maybe the exception of Buster Keaton, there's not a lot of irony there. No. Uh, It's something like... A movie like Sunrise has an almost unfashionable earnestness to it, Mm -hmm. as if it's trying to hit you directly in the emotions. Give you hashtag all the feels. (laughs) (laughs) That is going to date so much when 
hundreds of years from now, people listen to this podcast <laughs> and they'll be like, what's a hashtag? When alien civilizations find only our podcast from the ruins of humanity and try to piece together. And it's an AI type situation where they have to decide, will we rebuild humanity based upon what we... I think they'll. The I think they'll listen to this podcast and be like, "Hey, these two guys are good. They're they, these. These are film buffs who don't take it too seriously." <laughs> so, Guy Madden in his early films, he was dealing in a very formalist style with uh, Tales from the Gimli Hospital, Archangel, which are kind of a pair, mm-hmm. and then Careful, which was a German mountain climbing style film shot in two strip Technicolor. Yeah, yeah, German mountain climbing films being just a totally dead genre <laughs> that only existed in like. The pre-World War II... Uh, yeah, I think it was a, a genre that got a little bit too uh, mixed up with Hitler mm-hmm. uh, and the Nazis. And Tarantino actually references that genre in Inglorious Bastards when the character who manages the theater is putting up a poster. She's actually putting up a poster for a German mountain climbing movie. And Lenny Riefenstahl was the star mm-hmm. of some German mountain climbing films, and I think maybe even directed some, which I'm sure is another reason why the Germans stopped making them. And from Careful, Guy Madden made a film called Twilight of the Ice Nymphs, and this was supposed to be his break into the mainstream. Uh-huh. It uh, starred such luminaries as Frank Gorshin, okay, the, big, the Riddler big, big star, <laughs> Shelley Duvall. Oh man, you know, what a sellout getting Frank Gorshin and Shelley <laughs> Ali Duval. <laughs> um, and it was shot in color and on 35 millimeter format that Guy Madden had never shot on before. And I don't believe he's really returned to since then. And it doesn't work at all. It doesn't really have any of his concerns. And it kind of looks like a porno. Those like 90s kind of like, it's all shot in soft lighting. Like a Red Shoe diary exactly. sort of thing. That's yeah. what it looks like. And from that point, Guy Man kind of had to reevaluate what he wanted to do and what he wanted to say with his cinema, mm-hmm. which led him to make basically, since then, only autobiographical films. Uh, minus Dracula pages from a virgin's diary Mm -hmm. which he made right after twilight of the ice nymphs and the forbidden room isn't really isn't really autobiographical but oftentimes the movies since then have had a central character named guy madden Mm -hmm. who has had a domineering mother and who is sexually screwed up just like jackie chan like jackie chan jackie chan is named jackie chan in all his movies oh yeah that's true I, in case you were wondering if we were going to fit in a Jackie Chan reference in this Guy Madden episode, we did it. I feel like Guy Madden's a big fan of Jackie Chan. We're we're hyping up our audience for when we eventually do a Jackie Chan episode. What a huge blowout it's going to be. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Three, four hours. Jackie Chan is probably the thing we know best. So. <laughs> so from that point on, he made films that I feel like are the things that really propelled him in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. So he made Cowards Bend the Knee. Which is... I mean, to be fair, probably his maybe his most abrasive film. Yeah, his uh, most experimental film. Uh, it was designed as an art installation at the Powerhouse in Toronto. It opens with the whole movie unfolds in the, from the opening scene inside basically ejaculate that, <laughs> that, that a scientist is looking at through a microscope. It opens with the scientist looking at sperm and you, you see... Uh, the Spermville hockey team playing in there. And then from then on, the movie unfolds cowards bend the knee uh, which also stars a character named guy madden with with a weird sex life and cowards bend the knee was also a film that was meant to be watched in peepholes that you were supposed to put your eyes up to it and because it's broken up into chapters so you'd watch like a five minute part yeah. and then you'd have to move to the next hole to watch the next part that's interesting i mean it's the kind of movie that as i was watching it i was thinking uh i think the ideal way to see it would be to stumble on it on tv at two in the morning sort of half asleep not knowing who guy madden is and trying to figure out what this 
what this thing is. <laughs> now, I don't know what TV station would play it. But... Uh, probably CBC because they have to fill oh, that yeah. CanCon content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At like 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. When you'd be like, well, what is going on? But, you know, only grannies have uh, cable these days. So. Yeah. Not cool kids like us. <laughs> no way, man. We use the interweb to watch yeah. our knowledge and rent movies from such fine establishments as Baytree Video, Suspect Video. Yeah. And... If anyone wants to sponsor us... <laughs> <laughs> please give us free stuff. Yeah, please. Um, so from there on, Cowards Bend the Knee, he made uh, the saddest music in the world, which we already talked about, mm-hmm. Brand Upon the Brain. And I would say probably his most famous or well-known film, which is My Winnipeg. Probably, yeah. Which has a distinction of being classified as a documentary, not yeah. as a fictional film. But uh, I, I know he calls it a docu-fantasia. It's half uh, autobiography, half uh, city symphony, I guess. Another dead genre. It's a it's a meditation on the idea of Winnipeg in the same way that James Joyce's Dubliners is sort of about Dublin. And both both cities are used as a metaphor for stasis and not and not being able to grow up and become an adult and become a successful member of society. Always always being stuck in this dead place the whole film is structured as guy madden riding a train trying to get out of winnipeg but as he's riding that train he keeps falling asleep and he jumping to situations and places that impacted him throughout his life some some of which are probably true some of which may not be true (laughs) you Uh, don't know either you know there's footage of strikes or uh there's a story of when a stampede of horses tried to cross a river and uh, they crashed through it and which left their frozen heads sticking out of the ice. And that would become sort of a tourist attraction over the years. I don't know if that's actually true. I don't think it is. But it's the sort of weird story that I think every city has. Every city has some bizarre landmark like that. Have you ever visited Winnipeg? No. No, me Have you? Nope. Yeah, so I think we're the ideal audience because we don't know anything about it. But there's also a whole part of the movie about how Guy Madden is lamenting the death of the beloved hockey rink where Mm -hmm. he played as a child. Um, And you see footage from its demolition. Uh, The movie's very preoccupied with, as he calls it, the ghosts of Winnipeg's past. I, I, you know, I once interviewed Guy Madden when I was a young man and, he, and he, t- if I can name drop a little bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know. But, but I asked him about that scene and he said that he showed the movie in Berlin, which has actually had the shit bombed out of it. Mm-hmm. And he thought, geez, what am I complaining about this ice rink for <laughs> yeah. in, in this city when that has been totally been demolished? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think everybody, uh, the reason the movie is relatable, even though it's so specific to Guy Madden, the reason it's so relatable is because I think everybody has, uh, in whatever city you've grown up in, you see street corners where buildings that were important to you used to be. Mm-hmm. So do you have kind of emotional responses to Guy Madden films? Uh, somewhat. So, some more than others. Like I think My Winnipeg. My you... Winnipeg, much more so. The saddest music in the world, probably the, probably the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Winnipeg... Uh, the relationship uh, that he describes between himself and his mother in the film, uh, sort of a Portnoy's complaint type relationship, <laughs> which he is very obsessed with. A lot of his films comes deal with o- that. over and over again. I mean, you know, my relationship with my mother is not like that, but I think not quite incestuous, right? 
it's it's not incestuous in my Winnipeg. In some of his movies, it is. Yeah, <laughs> no. In my my Winnipeg, she's just a very uh, domineering mm-hmm. uh, Portnoyish mother. My, mine isn't like that, but I feel like everybody who has a mother can <laughs> can relate to some of his angst. What do you mean? Sorry, you're, mom. You're best friends with your mom. I, I you call lo- her up and be like, "I just banged a great chick." <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love I love my mom. Mom, if you're listening, you're not at all like the mom in, in my Winnipeg. <laughs> but you are like the mom in Brand Upon the Brain, <laughs> who is the same mom. Exactly. Uh, I I think anybody could actually the the mom in my Winnipeg reminds me a lot of my grandma. Oh really? My my late grandmother. <laughs> so I feel but she's already in the grave. So you're just gonna dance. On I it. feel like if my mom sees my Winnipeg, she'll probably identify with it a lot. Because mm-hmm. uh, I actually had a lot of difficulty connecting with my Winnipeg. It's a movie that I've returned to a lot, trying to kind of glom on to what people really like about it. I didn't connect with it at all the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt very specific to Guy Madden when it when I saw it in 2008 or 2009, whatever. This last viewing, I connected to it more, and I think it might just be because I'm older now. <laughs> I, you know what? It's a weird thing is that I do not have this vein of nostalgia that I see a lot of people have. And I think it may be the case that until I was 12, I lived in Orleans, so uh-huh. I was a little bit too young to really interact with the city in a way that made any impact. And then I moved to a place that I hated for 10 years, huh. and I have no nostalgia for. I mean, the most nostalgia I can have is places that I lived in Toronto, but even then, I'm not like, oh no, this place has been destroyed and I miss it. I live in the future, man, <laughs> in the present. Well, la-di-da. Look at you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're above it all. I'm a real ultimate example of what the human form should be. Well, I think, uh, yeah, an, an Ubermensch. That's what I was looking for, Ubermensch. Yeah. I was, Another I... totally outdated concept. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I see him talking about the ice rink in the movie, I think a little bit of the school where I went to kindergarten mm-hmm. got demolished and a new school was built in its place. Not that I particularly care. Yes. It's just that when I pass that school now, I think, oh, it's not the school I went to. It, and like, it will never be the school I went Guy to. Guy Madden talks about in my Winnipeg of these, like, they're very holy things. And at the end of the movie, he actually talks about rebuilding them up the way they used to be. I mean, I don't feel the same passion that he does. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, I perhaps feel a little uh, tiny sliver of nostalgia, enough so that I can relate to the movie. Did you ever play hockey? Yes, I did. Oh, I never played hockey. So I'm really not the audience for these Guy Man films, which I must say, I very, very much enjoy. I don't particularly like hockey, mm-hmm. so it's not... I can't even skate. Okay, I'm, I'm a pretty good skater. If I can, you know, I mean, I bet you think you're pretty cool with your aversion to nostalgia, but I can skate really well. And I think we know which one will, you know, make our lives happier in the long run. <laughs> yeah, me, I'll be skating. <laughs> Backwards. Yeah. Pressing the chicks. That's right. Um... What do you think, with all these concerns that are so specifically Canadian, what does Guy Madden, like, what does he say about Canada in his movies? I'm not sure what he says about Canada right now. Mm -hmm. I think a movie like The Saddest Music in the World captures a certain something about the Canadian identity of the moment of time that it was that it depicts in the 30s uh even if it's sort of a fantastical approach to that era it sort of captures a canada that doesn't quite have a national identity of its own and had just had a horrible experience in the first world war where so many of its young men were killed and there was this kind of gloom over the country because of that you don't think that guy man is saying things about the can the canada that he made saddest music in the world in, in like 2003 i think he is I'm just, I'm just not sure i'm quite the one to to <laughs> figure out what it is maybe he sees canada as being i mean canada is not a country that has a whole lot of i don't feel like we remember our history and our cultural history in the way that americans do mm-hmm. i feel like we we know as canadians we know america's history a lot better than we know our own 
I feel like the saddest music in the world definitely depicts a country that's very much overshadowed by its neighbors to the south. Mm-hmm. With the Mark McKinney character, for instance, who comes to Canada and immediately basically starts colonizing the entire competition, bringing, yes, bringing every right. other country into into his song, uh, into his uh, musical performance to create kind of a artificial poppy Broadway number, yeah. that can wow people. And basically, what's left? What's left is just sadness and misery. And we actually didn't talk about that. Guy Mann's films are also very influenced by his cultural heritage from like Iceland. All his films are infused with that. I guess so. I mean, Canada is a uh, mix of many different cultures. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree with you, Will. <laughs> Do you think that Can- that Winnipeg could be a metaphor for all of Canada, that we're all stuck in this frozen hellscape? In this frozen hellscape and, and we're not moving on and we're just, we're just a dead country and... Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe in 2000. That's definitely the way I think people think about Canadians who don't, uh, Canadian filmmakers who don't move outside of Amer- of Canada. Oh, is this when we're going to throw the gauntlet down and talk <laughs> about uh, Canadian filmmakers? Because Guy Madden is one of those, uh, you know, to use a harsh term, grandpa filmmakers. He's been around for a long time, and he's the one who's going to get the Art Council funding. Because, because that's pretty Guy much Madden. the only way he can make his movies. Yeah. Guy Mad's relationship with the mainstream is that he has no relationship with the mainstream. His films are not going to make money in the way that, I guess, funding bodies want movies to uh-huh. make money. Like, they want them to take off and people are talking about it by the water cooler. I saw him interviewed once where he said that it, he, it's relatively easy to get money for his movies because he always seems like he's on the verge of making money. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, a movie, you know, a movie like, well, maybe he would disagree that it's relatively easy. Maybe I'm misquoting him. But, <laughs> but he says that a movie like The Saddest Music in the World, for instance, uh, was high profile enough that it would make people think, oh, the next one will do better. Well, I mean, his movie... Or Keyhole, which had Jason Patrick in it. <laughs> I mean, like, Brand Upon the Brain, I remember when it was kind of touring, it was a big thing where they were doing, like, live Foley, mm-hmm. and and there was a live narrator every time. Like, those movies are not going to make money. That's not the way they're designed to. No. Or My Winnipeg, I remember finding it on Netflix, just, like, flicking through mm-hmm. right after the year it came out and being like, huh, what? what is it doing here? Because you just don't think his movies will be found in that kind of environment. Sure, most of them probably are inexpensive, though. I Did, did you hear the story about uh, The Forbidden Room where supposedly they shot parts of it on a train so that they could collect tax breaks in every province? I don't know if that's true or that's just a joke he said. So The Forbidden Room being Guy Madden's most recent recent film yes he co-directed it with one of his film students whose name i don't recall yeah and what the film is is a bunch of uh i guess vignettes or kind of short films because that's how he shot them right short interconnected short films based on sometimes the plot synopses sometimes just the titles of lost films Mm -hmm. and it's shot in like glorious color and every uh sort of two strip technicolor but every and it's very specific what kind of style it's trying to emulate like within even years within the 20s or the 30s all the films just sort of blur together eventually uh it's a, a very bizarre i would say it's probably the film i would recommend to someone who's like i want to watch a guy man film like what is a good starting point i think the forbidden room would be a good one because it's literally like snack size bites of everything sure but it's harder to grasp onto than the saddest music in the world because mm-hmm. it doesn't really have a coherent narrative it doesn't have it's, a coherent it, it's narrative. more than most of his movies it is really an overwhelming experience <laughs> to the point where towards the end of it it's so long too that you're almost begging for it to end it's really for the add generation <laughs> oh, where they yeah, can sure. come in and out <laughs> you mean the mtv generation <laughs> yeah those 90s kids <laughs> um and at the same time, we were talking about how Guy Man doesn't really interact with the mainstream. Films like Keyhole, man, no one likes Keyhole. I kind of like it. I like Keyhole. It's 
probably his most obtuse film. Like, speaking of Forbidden Room is the one I would recommend to people, I would tell, you stay very far away from Keyhole. Because mm-hmm. you're going to be lost. You're going to have no idea what's going on. And the one thing to latch onto there is kind of the absurdist humor that's going on. Sure. Let's uh, talk a little bit about Guy Madden's cinephilia. Mm-hmm. Did you know the mother in My Winnipeg is played by Anne Savage, who uh, starred in Edgar G. Elmer's film noir classic Detour? I did not know that. So uh, Edgar G. Elmer, if anyone doesn't know this, and probably a lot of people don't know this, who knows Edgar G. Elmer? He was considered the best of the Poverty Row filmmakers. He's somebody who... Uh, worked in German Expressionist film, came over to America, seemed to be on the path to have a Hollywood career. Mm-hmm. And Did you hear the reason why he tanked his Hollywood career? He ran off with the wife of, I think, the nephew of the head of Universal. <laughs> yeah, that's so exactly he was basically blacklisted from all the studios at that point. And fr- from then on, he made B to Z grade movies, infusing them with his own style. I'm not surprised that... Uh, Guy Madden would gravitate towards Edgar G. Elmer because something about Edgar G. Elmer's work suggests a ghost in the machine. Mm-hmm. It suggests movies that look like Hollywood mainstream movies, but have some sort of weird off-putting thing about yeah, them. Yeah, some weird off-putting thing, some bizarre subconscious activity in them, which I guess Guy Madden takes to a stylistic extreme in his own movies. In the book from the Atelier Tovar, there's actually a list of films that Guy Madden is recommending to someone, and that is the purest snapshot of what he likes. So it'll be like The Devil Doll by Todd Browning, <laughs> uh, Thundercrack, that independent yeah. uh, black and white porno film, yeah. uh, Max Fleischer's Popeye cartoons. Yeah. That's the things that really influence him. Something I also like about The Forbidden Room is the idea, it suggests this idea. Godard's Histoire du Cinema also does this, where films aren't just individual standalone objects. They're all part of this giant continuum of film history as a constantly intermingling reflection of the dreams of society (laughs) (laughs) to get pseudo poetic again. Oh, geez, we've got to get away from that. The the idea that it's just one long, big movie. Mm -hmm. So... Next week. What are we talking about, Will? Uh, we're talking about the sexy, sexy cinema <laughs> of Radley Metzger. If you don't know who Radley Metzger is, you'll want to study up. He started in soft... Well, he started uh, uh, cutting trailers for the films of Ingmar Bergman and Federico Fellini. Then he made so- his own softcore porn films, such as uh, Camille 2000 and... Uh, score and stuff like that sort of in the vein of Fellini and then he moved on to hardcore films such as the opening of Misty Beethoven which are generally considered the best hardcore porn films ever made what does the best porn film ever made look like <laughs> well you'll have to tune in next week to so, ne- so next week we're going to talk about Camille 2000 a softcore effort and the opening of Misty Beethoven mm-hmm. a hardcore effort I have not seen either of them okay this will be fun <laughs> we'll, we'll watch watch these movies and we'll talk about our we'll feelings. watch them together holding hands <laughs> um we'll we, talk about what parts were really hot <laughs> we're gonna rate it on the peter meter <laughs> yeah. also we haven't never mentioned this before but we should that if you listen to our podcast and you enjoy it go to itunes and give us five stars and write oh, a review. are we gonna be those people yes we are okay. we are because we don't have that many reviews right now. We have three. We have that's, that's by, by by friends and that friends have appeared on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, in the review, can you can you not say a variation of these guys are real dumb and we? Because <laughs> I feel like all three of our iTunes reviews have something along those lines. It's finally, 
It's a movie analysis show for the people. <laughs> Actually, I do like that. Oh, we, you do we, are like that? we are we're men of the people. <laughs> we're not like the snobs out there. <laughs> and we also wanted to have a contest. Do we? Let's cancel that. I don't want to have to do a contest now. <laughs> Why not? Because we haven't come up with the prize. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. And usually when you do a contest and you don't say what the prize is, people are like, well, I'm not going to enter that contest. Yeah, well, yeah, skip the contest. We'll do another contest. I'm going to leave this part in, though. So people will be like, okay. what was that contest? Oh, what we should, though, plug is your other podcast. Yes. Me and my uh, friend, Matthew Kumar, go through chronologically... Uh, canon films, who are most famously known for making Chuck Norris films, Charles Bronson, the amazing Sylvester Stallone picture, Over the Top. Yeah, good movie. But what we did is, because we're going chronologically, we haven't gotten to those films yet, and we've been sludging through a bunch of sexy films and shitty art house releases, and we talk about it every week. It's it, called Loose Cannons. Yeah, not the Loose Cannon. Yeah, and also not the Cannon podcast. Yeah. Loose Cannons. Matthew Kumar and Justin the Clue. Uh, we really appreciate it if you listen to that one, too. It's it's okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I think there's a bit of a divide between Loose Cannons fans and Important Cinema Club fans. Uh, you think so? Yeah. You gotta be real hardcore if you listen to Loose Cannons. You either really love canon films or you just like listening to me and Matthew yeah. go slowly insane as we watch all of these Yeah, because you haven't got to any of the good ones yet. No, we haven't gotten to any of this the good the ones. This is the thing I kind of like about Loose Cannons is the fact that you pick, you, you're talking about these really obscure movies that nobody has ever talked about and it's like, great, there now exists a podcast <laughs> on these movies. What, what's the name of a stupid movie you've done? Um, Like uh, The Wicked Die Slow. Okay, The Wicked Die Slow. Nobody has ever talked about it but now there does, in the, in the canon of critical literature on- For an the, hour. Yeah, there is a one hour discussion of The Wicked Die Slow that you can listen to. So you should really check that out. And on that note, my name is Justin the Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Somebody once <laughs> told me the world was gonna own me. Is that what you think of when you think of Guy Man? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Smash Mouth. Specifically Mystery no, no. Man. I think of I think of um do 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 do. That has nothing to do with anything. No, I was just thinking of that Smash Mouth song earlier today. As one will do on a day to day basis when the sun is out and life is going good. Yeah. Wait, is that song about things being good or things being bad? Uh, somebody once told me the world was gonna owe me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking. Hey now, you're an all star. No, it's about being okay. Yeah, being you. Yeah. Mine is when we walk in on the sun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll be a 49 second end tag. <laughs>